Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or group of performers didn't play their instruments for 4 minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. So, for the duration of several performances of 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo-related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I'm always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going great. 433 episodes. Pretty remarkable. Yeah, we've done a lot of these things, and now we are going to make you listen to us not talk about Nintendo at all. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote in with suggestions coming in. Some of them, uh, last, some, some suggestions coming in after the bell, I gotta say. But, oh, I... After the Tuesday deadline, you're saying? That's right, yes. Well, you know, we are, if nothing but not, uh, gregarious fellows, and of (laughs) course we included them. Yes, uh, we will be spending the entirety of today um, using your suggested topics for 433 segments. Um, Before we get into that, just very quickly, my copy of Sonic Forces, would you like to borrow it? You know you can. If you want to, all you got to do is email us at nintendocartridgesociety at gmail.com. And uh, give us a mailing address so we can send you my copy of Sonic Forces. But Mark, also there's uh, Untitled Goose Game is in there. Look, you all know the drill at this point. If you don't, uh, we'll get more into it in every other episode of this show. But we have got a, a mammoth task ahead of us. We've got like 2433s to uh, record. So let's do it. Let's get into the main topic. All 433s, baby. <laughs> And I guess before we like get into it, get into it, there were a couple, we had a couple suggestions to talk about uh, 433 performances or to rank them, um, uh, including one email here from Edward. Uh, Edward writes, uh, you two have listened to more renditions of 433 than most people. Why don't you do a segment of 43 where you rank the different versions of 433? I realize it might be hard to rank performances where no instruments are played, uh, but you you only have to keep the conversation going for four minutes and 33 seconds i believe in you you can do it um thank you i i, I believe in us too uh i don't think we have m- m- uh, more than like 10 seconds to say about any performance of 433 which is uh for the purposes of this show i'm really just looking for one that ends in applause mm-hmm. and then and so it can be like an audio cue um for this show this episode right here we are not going to be using a performance of 433 we're going to be using a stopwatch uh, that goes off after four minutes and 33 seconds um, just to really keep this regimented, arbitrary amount of time uh, going. Um, I, I guess I don't want to speak for both of us. Mark, do you have a favorite performance of 433? No, I really don't. They, Like you said, if they have applause at the end, it's a 10 out of 10 in my heart. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a- absolutely. And look, is it different if you're using 433 for something not recording this podcast in this very warped way that we use uh this uh this this piece of music uh yeah uh, but you know i I don't think it's a piece that really shouldn't be recorded it should just be experienced in a concert hall like you have to be sitting there feeling awkward you have to hear the sound of your own blood coursing through your veins like that's what 433 is all about 
Um, all right, Mark, let us start our first performance of 433. Oh, wait, before, before oh, yes. we get in. Oh, wait, actually, never mind. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let's just go for it. Let's go for it. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's all right, do all right, all right. Um, so our first 433 topic comes from Peter. Peter writes, tell me everything you know about Sweden. This is a tough so, one. I got to say, I, I'm stumped yeah, right I, off the bat. <laughs> I, I feel like most that I know about Sweden comes mm-hmm. from pop music and like bands that I like who originate right. from Sweden, like ABBA. Like ABBA. Great example. Yeah. yeah. Um, great example. Maybe only example? No, <laughs> do no, no. no. I, I, I do. I have, I have two other ones that I can think of offhand. So I uh, really like the radio department and the marionettes. And they're like two bands that are m- more modern than ABBA. But they uh, have this kind of like a little bit of a throwback sound where, you know, they're using like electronic drums and it's kind of like this like wall of noise a little bit. Um, yeah. But it's pop music. I'm really into it. It's uh, so I guess like maybe music from Sweden is probably what I know most about Sweden. I would say uh, that like the next thing like, I, yeah, music for me, too. But I only really know the one example. Um, I, I would be interested mm-hmm. to explore the, these other two. Um, but like. Is it a cop out to go immediately to IKEA to like just immediately jump to IKEA? <laughs> no, I, I I don't think it's a cop out at all because uh, I had actually forgotten about IKEA, but that's another that's a that's a great example. That's probably like uh, the cultural touchstone from Sweden that most people in the United States experience on <laughs> a regular basis, right? Absolutely. I mean, and especially when like you are younger and just like starting out and trying to figure out like how to put things into an apartment. Um, God forbid you should ever find yourself owning a house. Like you just got to go to Ikea and like load up. Uh, do you ever wonder if like that is what the experience of like living in Sweden is? Is just like everyone has Ikea furniture more I than? I do wonder that. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if people in like Sweden do not use Ikea. Like Ikea mm. is not actually like it's something like that uh, Sweden, yeah. Yes, that Swedish people use. <laughs> Do you um, think I, that? Do, oh, I was gonna ask if you think that when Muppet movies are shown in Sweden, that like the Swedish Chef is beloved. Do you think that like they cut those parts out? Do you think they change it to the American Chef and he like has like you know is wearing like a gun holster? This is a great point. I feel like the Swedish Chef in Sweden is probably a borderline hate crime. You know, <laughs> like because like he really is just saying nonsense spirity birdie bork 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 and now i'm perpetuating it of course uh yeah i don't know i feel like uh i mean we already have sam eagle right like he is the hyper american muppet yeah i guess that's true i guess i was thinking of you know like uh just this past week uh online like twitter was a flutter about um uh big bird and all of like Big Bird's right. cousins, like the Big Birds from all the different countries. So I wondered Big if Bird like variant. Swedish Chef, I mean, maybe, and this is not to impugn Sweden at all, but like maybe they're not concerned, the, the filmmakers aren't concerned about like Sweden in particular because the size of the market is not enough, but they're like mm. worried about people boycotting the Muppet movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's likely. What do you think the uh, Sweden snowy place, right? Snow's there in the winter. Yeah, I believe that to be true. <laughs> I'm just trying because, like, honestly, as we, we've talked a lot, uh, a lot, we've talked a lot, Mark, about like cultural touchstones of Sweden and like the sort of American perspective of Sweden, culturally speaking. Um, but I don't really know much about the actual place. Yeah, I don't either. I like 
is it uh yeah i'm just purely speculating here so my geography is not great but like i feel like it's not as far north as finland do we feel like that's true like because finland is Mm. part of like the arctic circle is sweden in the arctic circle yeah i feel like they're all part of those like uh finger countries that like come (laughs) that like form that like peninsula of like just cold european countries um yeah and i mean it's it's tough because in my head i keep getting blocked by switzerland like I'm, I'm trying to access mm-hmm. Sweden and I'm like, yeah, mountains, the hills are alive. All like, and like, no, 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 Patrick, <laughs> that, that's Austria. First of all, that's a good point. Does Sweden have mountains or is it mostly just like flat plains? I don't know. I don't, I, I'm in, I know Finland is a lot of flat plains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they're the same country. I think Finland <laughs> and Sweden are the same country. I think that's right. I'm like, I'm a little bit embarrassed that this is our first one. Oh, well, We'll never oh, know I for guess sure. We, we will never know. Um, all right. So our next uh, topic uh, comes from Dominic. And Dominic writes in with 13 different suggestions, or at least we've whittled it down to 13 different suggestions. I'm going to run the random number generator right now to determine what we're going to talk about. Number three, we're going to be talking about guilty pleasure music. Mark, are you, do you ever feel guilty about uh, the music that you listen to and that you enjoy? Um, I think I, I, I did in high school, like when I was mm-hmm. uh, more concerned about being cool, but I have like long ago crushed thrush- the threshold of like not at all being cool. And so I feel, uh, there's no sense of societal pressure as to like what I listen to because, uh, there's no expectation that I will be like hip or with it. Yeah, uh, as evidenced by the fact that you just used the phrases uh, hip or and with it. <laughs> um, yeah, I would actually say that my most embarrassing music was the music that I listened to in high school when I was very concerned about being cool. Because um, I was mm, a mm-hmm. big, I was a big ska kid in high school. Went through a whole phase of like any music that's not ska is not good. Um, <laughs> and you know, like that—that's all part of like just like finding your identity and like asserting totally. your identity. Um, and like I played bass, so like I was looking for an opportunity to like you know play in any bands that I could. Um, and I guess every <laughs> every band has a bass player, so I don't know why I I kept putting myself in ska bands, but I did. Um, so yeah, I would say that that's my my biggest guilty pleasure has got to be like the music that still feels transcendent to me, which is like Real Big Fish is still like to me they're still incredible (laughs) yeah that's interesting like i I wasn't really into ska but one thing that i have found recently is like there's a lot of songs from when i was in high school um Mm -hmm. around that era that like at the time i did not like but i hear them now uh you know like matchbox 20 or something like that where like i didn't like it at the time but i hear it now and um because i associate it so strongly with that time in my life that I do like it and I do sing along because I'm like this song like it totally brings me back yeah yeah and I I guess I I also feel that way about like some of the poppier stuff from when and I don't think this is uh it's almost uh, a guilty pleasure that is so like mainstreamified that like you can't really feel guilty about it but like you know when I hear like uh you know 90s late 90s early 2000s in sync or Britney Spears I'm like yeah um even though it's something that well i was in high school i probably would have made fun of um totally like, you know now i'm like unironically i don't know unironically there's still an element of irony to it just into it um but i feel like that is a a sort of universal thing among our peers right like 
anyone any music that would have been guilty pleasure music as we were growing up we've just embraced as uh unironic pleasure is there anything yeah. you listen to I, now that you're like um Ugh. nothing well see nothing that i would feel like guilty that i feel like guilty about liking um mm-hmm. i mean we talk ad nauseum about like andrew lloyd Webber musicals about uh you know like all like all that kind of stuff i've always loved disney musicals like yeah i uh, but now like i have no uh shame about talking about it because i feel like now that i am as old as i am i just feel like guilty pleasures like unless you're murdering somebody i don't think guilty pleasures <laughs> exist like if you're doing it because it brings you joy then like that's great that's all i need yeah i mean i i, I think i'll push back against that just a a, a little bit in that like there are, you know, I've got that Weezer podcast, which again, we just did a, a new episode for the new record that came out. Um, but like, you know, there are elements of uh, Weezer's like lyrics for sure that I'm like, oh, I no longer identify with that. I'm embarrassed by it. And I feel the same way about a lot of like Ben Folds lyrics. Um, mm-hmm. Like I love Ben Folds and Ben Folds 5. Um, but like, you know, my, my fandom is a little bit dampened just by like, you know, so, some of the like posture and some of the like you know, like rock in the suburbs, like woe is me, poor white boy. Uh, yeah, stuff. yeah. I, I'm like, eh, I, I don't relate to it anymore, which is maybe different than being uh, a guilty pleasure. No, but I, I think that is a good point because, like, not all art ages well, and so, right? Uh, yeah, that I that is a good point. Um, how do you deal with getting real heavy right at the end here, Michael Jackson? <laughs> like, are there Michael Jackson tunes that you still listen to? Uh, do you let that uh, affect your listening either way? Yeah, I, I, I do. It, um, I have a difficult time separating art from artist. And so uh, I just kind of like put away Michael Jackson stuff. Like, I just don't listen to it anymore. Uh, important for Mark to wrap up that last point. Me too, by the way. Um, with the exception of uh, She Wants Me Back, I feel like Jackson 5 is a little bit different. Uh, anyway, we can't keep talking about it. Uh, the next suggestion comes from Tiago. Tiago says, uh, it's a one word email. It just says otters. Mark, we are talking about otters. Are otters the perfect animal? I they think might they be. might be. They're so cute. Look, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened when like the culture became aware of otters as like a cute thing. But I think we all get it now, right? It wasn't. It, that wasn't a forever thing, right? What What caused that? Why do we all know that otters are the best? I don't know, because I do feel like in elementary school and stuff, there were always the people who had, they went to like the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And so they had otter shirts. Maybe Sorry. actually that's what it is, right? Maybe it's like the internet and the proliferation of yes. otter related things. Because if you are in a place where like otters are not readily available, because not every zoo has otters. Um, so maybe you had seen pictures of otters. And yes, like otters are cute just on principle, just like looking at them. But I yeah. think seeing otters in action and being like adorable and holding hands and stacking cups, like that's what really sells it. And so I think like it's the same thing that the internet did for cats, the internet did for otters, where everybody, no matter where you're from, no matter whether otters are native to your state or country or not, everybody can now fully appreciate otters in all of their glory. I think otters are also uncomplicated, right? Like there's something about the otter that like it's not. I was trying to figure out beavers the other day and like why they build dams and it's like they, they do it so they can uh, divert water and like fish more easily. And I'm like, okay, beaver, you're too confusing. <laughs> like, I don't get you beaver. How do you know to, to build? But an otter is just like an adorable sea cat that floats on its back 
and holds hands so it doesn't get separated from the other otters that it loves. It's just nice. It's just a nice animal. And I know that that's probably not true to like the um the creatures below the otter in the food chain, you know, so mm, like the clams sure. or whatever those otters are like breaking open with rocks so they can, you know, like rip them apart with their right. little otter teeth. Like probably not as big of otter fans, but um for every but for everybody else like otters are so non-threatening. Yeah, a- absolutely. I like that they come in sea and river varieties. I think that's nice. Um, there is a uh, a moment in an episode of Futurama. I believe it is the one where Fry gets brain worms um, and they make him smarter and he learns how to play the holophoner. Um, and he plays a, a piece of music for Leela that is then, of course, visualized because the holophoner makes uh, a visualization along with music. Um, and in one part of it, he and Leela are otters and he's like an orange otter. And she's a purple otter, and they're like swimming it through through the sea, and then they like jump up and sort of like uh, touch their feet against each other, to, like spring backwards in like a flip. Um, and that image of them like silhouetted by the moon and like sort of making a heart shape with their otter bodies was my uh, background on my computer for a really long time. Um, so yeah, I mean, this talk about otters is just it, it fills my heart with joy. <laughs> also, when you're talking about them being uncomplicated, like. Otters make sense phys- like physically. Like they have four legs. There's nothing weird like mermaid going on, but like below the surface where <laughs> their body just like forms into a tail or anything. Like mm-hmm. they have the legs. They're they're like they're like sea dogs or sea cats. They're just oh, they're perfect. Yeah, and they got those little whiskers. Mark, you mentioned that they they crack open clams with rocks, which means they're also using tools. I I mean I believe Simple that tools. that is true but of course we don't like of course we don't fact check anything we say on 433 rarely no. do we fact check anything we say on this podcast so i could be wrong but i'm assuming that's what they eat or <laughs> i do like that uh on the podcast in general we're usually at least researched um and then <laughs> allow for a debug i think we should go out on the record right now and say that these 43s will not be debugged no one can send yeah, I think any corrections <laughs> i think that's totally fair um would you if possible keep an otter as a pet feels cruel, per- doesn't it? Because you does, don't have like access in, to water. I don't, but like in a perfect world where I could, yes, I would want to. But do you think they get lonely? Do you think they're like guinea pigs where they're like, yeah, where experts are so. like, you need to keep a bunch of guinea pigs and you need to set that guinea pig on your lap and you should be brushing its hair while you are watching TV because guinea pigs need that time. Like, I think I could provide some of that for an otter, but I don't know that I could be there all the time. Yeah, well, especially with the hand-holding thing, like... I guess we will never know. Um, Our next suggestion comes from Lizzie. Lizzie sent us three possible topics. I'm running the random number generator. Uh, Number one, we are talking about books. Uh, The prompt is, do you read often? What kind of books do you like to read? Et cetera, et cetera. I've been reading a lot since during the pandemic. Like as a kid, I loved to read. And as an adult, I would still read, but not as often as like I would like to but the pandemic I think like just like not having to commute and um just having more time on my hands I've been able to get I've been reading a lot more books than I used to um I really like fiction I really like mysteries I'm a sucker for like Agatha Christie stories yeah uh, and have have you been reading a lot of mysteries in the the pandemic or yeah I started with like some uh like nonfiction books um, like I read one by Eric Larson at the start about the, um, 
oh darn uh sinking of the lusitania i think it is i can't remember what it's called yeah (laughs) yeah yeah but uh i can't remember what the book is called but it was like really interesting i'd read some of his other books before um and then i read into thin air which was my first time reading that junk like uh jack krakauer book and that Mm -hmm. was another one where it was like you in my head like what scaling mount everest was versus like what it actually is are like so dramatically different uh that's cool i wish i always wish i was a better reader i've got like a a tough attention span for reading um and both my sister and my mother are like voracious readers read a ton right um and uh are therefore like very fast at it i feel like i'm always just slow and it's always been difficult for me to you know it's something that I've, i've worked on and gotten better at like just reading comprehension um but like yeah i i read what what i'm reading right now and we're both sort of doing this um is that we're both like all in on the um star wars high republic publishing initiative um which we were just talking about before we were rolling <laughs> um but uh yeah so like i uh i'm just sort of giving myself the green light to um read any level of these star wars books i read the junior novel um which you know i i was Im- uh, initially like put off by the label of junior novel cuz i'm like that's for babies but i'm like no you're a baby read the book <laughs> but i'm really enjoying this we also and for me not as much as i used to a few years ago but we also read a fair amount of comic books yeah that's right that's right we do yes yeah that that that's right um and i i, I miss reading them as cuz I, I used to probably read like i don't know like 20 25 titles a week like I used to read a lot of comics, um, and that's gone way down now. I'm mostly just reading Star Wars and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, with like the occasional Marvel or DC thing thrown in there. Is there anything that uh, any any comics that you're reading right now? No, I'm also just reading the Star Wars comics. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like uh, during, I think it kind of like rolled over from 2019 when the uh, Mandalorian first came out, and we were all hyped for Rise of Skywalker. And uh, that like carried over to the for into 2020 for me because I was looking for something that was just like um, like relaxing and bringing me joy. So I read a yeah. lot of Star Wars novels in 2020, and so having like this High Republic thing totally just like completely rolled right into that. It's just continued to like feed the addiction. Yeah, and I've I've also uh, I've enjoyed when I've uh, gone on Teen Creeps, the podcast Teen Creeps, and uh, you know I I I am there. Lois Duncan correspondent. Um, so, you know, uh, started with, uh, or not started with, but eventually read um, I Know What You Did Last Summer, uh, which is, of course, of course, nothing like that, that movie. You've been on Teen Creeps as well, right? Yeah, we talked about, um, like, a Titanic book. <laughs> oh, we're, we're, we're both overdue for uh, uh, another time on uh, Teen Creeps, um, which is a, a, a great show. They're doing a um, uh, like an '80s fantasy month right now. Mm. Um, so they uh, they read like um, the Neverending Story and uh, s- stuff like that. So that's uh, that's super cool. Um, yeah, I don't How know. Do any, do- any, go ahead. How do you do with the, like the the classics? Because I like classics are tough. They I like I feel like for a while I was like all in on it. This was like you know a decade ago where I was like yes I'm like going to read these. I want to read these. But I've completely fallen out of it, and I think maybe it's just because, like, um, oh well, I guess whatever. We will never know. <laughs> All right, uh, our next suggestion comes from John. John sent us uh, three suggestions. We are random number generating. 
we are going to be ranking the species types, types of species. Um, and I think the suggestions that he gave here are mammals, reptiles, birds, insects, amphibians. Um, does that list seem uh, complete to you? To be honest, Patrick, biology, not one of my strong suits. Okay, um, okay. So the different kinds of vertebrates, right, are mammals, reptiles, birds, amphibians, and fish. So let's take insect out of there and put fish in. Okay. And, and we, can, we can rank vertebrates. Because if, if we open it up to, like, invertebrates, then things get weird, and it's like, uh, where Amidos. do you rank? Yeah, where do you, and where do you rank, like, a sea sponge? Like, I don't care. Right. <laughs> So mammals, reptiles, birds, fish, and amphibians. Do we need any uh, definitional uh, uh, exploration here? Or do we understand all these animal types? I feel comfortable diving in whether I understand it or not. <laughs> That's a spirit, Mark. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, go ahead. So for me, I am going to... It's a tough call between... Um, Actually, it's not that tough call. I think birds are at the lowest for me. I just don't mm. particularly like birds. And I know that there is that is a broad statement about a, a enormous variety of creature. But when I think of like which one of these do I want to spend time around, bird is very low on the list. Um my mother has a very strong aversion to birds. She's never explained why. Um, anytime I ask her, she's like, I just don't like them. Um, so, I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the end of the, <laughs> is that she just doesn't like birds. But, uh, so from, as a result, I think I dislike birds less because mm. I'm like, oh, the bird bugs my mother. So like, <laughs> I, I'm sort of into it. I think yeah, for me, that the, the bottom, of, bottom of the list is going to be more along the lines of like amphibians and reptiles also fish i feel like all three of them are like bottom of the barrel mammals number one right <laughs> i think mammals number one if nothing else because like mammals you know are cute in a way that i like yes. i know that there are people who you know like own snakes and lizards and really like them um i am not those people birds don't <laughs> i don't want birds as a pet are you kidding me um fish are fine fish are totally fine some of them are very beautiful but um the, uh, and then amphibians. So I would put amphibians not at the bottom only because there's something very fun yes. to me about the fact that they like are crossovers, right? They're yeah. like the, they're like the Marvel cinematic universe of animals, of vertebrates. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the, yes, there is something very cool, very appealing about like an animal that starts out as one thing and then becomes something different. Like that's cool. Um, and as far as vertebrates go, it's the only one that's like that. Right. right, the rest of and, these, yeah, forget it. Also, but uh, also just to give another like shout out to mammals is that mammals can be can be like so weird, right? You got like the duck billed platypus, and you're like, how is this a mammal? But technically, it is. Like, then what, you got I mean, monkeys. what else would it be though? Like, it lays <laughs> eggs, but like, and has a bill, like a leathery bill, and venomous foot spurs. Mark, they have foot uh, spurs. <laughs> at, at the San Diego Zoo, they have like a couple of um, platypus. And the, in order to see it, there was like this long line, and then they're in this little like enclosure because they are um, uh, nocturnal, and so they make it seem like it's night during the day, so that way they'll come out. But platypus were like only, I would say, maybe like at most like a foot long, and for whatever reason, I was expecting them to be like beaver sized. Yeah, <laughs> building dams in a way that we don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the aforementioned otters. I, I mean, you know, it's. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And out. also, like, 
the, yeah, you're saying there's so much variety in, like, you've got the whole category of aquatic mammals. And, like, so mammals can get, like, super weird. Also, there are mammals that fly, bats. Like, I don't know. I feel like mammals just have it all, plus they're warm and soft, most of them. <laughs> like, if we're just going on cuddleability alone, mammals yeah. got to take the number one spot. It's true. So I think, for me, I would go mm. mammals, then probably fish and amphibians it's real close and then reptiles and then birds at the bottom uh so i'll go mammals at the top for sure uh and then a four-way tie for last place <laughs> <laughs> i just look i've 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 never had a fish of my own i've oh i guess we will never know man every time that happens i can't wait to stop that beeping <laughs> is it really loud on your end too uh, it's piercing. It's not really loud, but it like is a register that definitely um, makes itself known. Okay, next up, we are taking a suggestion from Daniel, and random number generator says, we are going to talk about how lame we were in high school. So again, I was in ska bands. <laughs> I, I was I think I was like a, an appropriate amount of lame. Like uh you know um I was embarrassed of myself, you know, like all that kind of stuff. But um but I got along fine with people. Like I wasn't picked mm-hmm. on, I wasn't bullied. Like I was l- liked well enough. Yeah. Well, I, and I think a lot of high school is finding the lanes that you can travel in and just kind of mm-hmm. sticking to like I think if you're I was about to say something uh, that is not true. I was going to say, I think if you're being bullied, you're hanging out in the wrong circles, uh, which is definitely not true. I, I'm not blaming <laughs> bullying victims. But like, yeah, I mean, I, I was I wasn't uh, I spent a lot of my time in high school hanging out with the orchestra dorks and with the uh, theater nerds. Um, so like, you know, it, it didn't I didn't feel at any point like I was in a, I was in a place where people were like cooler than me or like had a status above me that was something I couldn't attain eventually. Yeah, I think like my biggest regrets from high school are all aesthetic choices. Um <laughs> like I, like I I wore glasses from second grade until I was in my early 20s when I got like LASIK eye surgery and not that uh like I'm going to have to wear glasses again because my eyes are so bad, but the choice of glasses at the time, like I uh let's just say that like Drew Carey was like the uh, yeah, look that I go. aspired towards. <laughs> thick frames, thick lenses, all of that. Very thick. And like my, my eyesight was so bad that like my, my glasses were like really thick. And so all it did was ma- like accentuate the problem. Like it accentuated how thick the glasses were instead of um, like doing anything to mitigate that. Yeah, that, that's tough. I am sure that there are some aesthetic disasters in my um you know clothing choices for sure um but mostly i think i i wasn't i wasn't thinking about that like i just wasn't engaging in uh like a- a- anything along those lines it just like wasn't part of how i thought of myself and therefore not anything i put any thought into mm-hmm. uh so i'm sure it's embarrassing to look back on but like i also don't look back on myself in high school that much i don't find it yeah. to be super productive yeah i can i totally agree although i I, i'm I'm trying to think like uh in high school i was like in like i did like journalism i did like academic decathlon Mm -hmm. i did theater tech so i was like hanging out with like the theater kids but kind of like on the periphery um 
Yeah, it's a little bit all over the place. The theater tech crowd is always uh, an, an, an interesting bunch, right? Yeah. Like, well, I, I drove a, I drove a, a Volkswagen Beetle, but it was like black with like black interior. So I would drive, so I would like drive up for one of the performances and I was dressed for theater tech. So I was like wearing all black, you know, <laughs> in this like black Beetle in with like black yeah. interior. Um, and so it was definitely like a mood for sure. Um, so one of the things that happened that well, like one of the defining things of uh, my high school experience was uh, we had this great theater director who'd been there for years and years and years, and he left after my sophomore year um, and like sort of left a program that was like hyper ambitious and all the kids wanted to like work really hard and, you know, live up to this, like the, the legacy of, of Ron Parker. Right. Um, and the teacher who came in next um, was like new out of, uh, out of college and, I, I think we as a theater program put her through hell um, <laughs> being like, no, we all stay here every night until nine o'clock working on the sets. And like, we all take this super seriously. Um, and she ended up leaving after like a year and a half. Uh, and I am certain that uh, my cohort in the drama club drove her out of the, like <laughs> there's no way there's like i I'm, I'm trying to imagine being a like you know in my early 20s landing a teaching gig uh doing theater um like you know kind of a sweet deal and mm-hmm. then just discovering that like oh these kids are fanatics um <laughs> so i would say that my fanaticism for the theater <laughs> club at the time uh was probably one of the worst things about me in high school did you, so were you oh well never mind I guess, I guess we'll never know god i can't wait to stop it okay um our next suggestion comes from mark mark says uh my suggestion for 433 is a little on the personal side so i'd understand if you didn't do it uh mark surprise we're doing it um could you speak for 433 on your lives outside the podcast um are your uh, for example are your partner's understanding of your gaming hobby how on earth you afford slash find time to play games uh that you chat about each week do you have any other hobbies um i i would say that i am fortunate uh in the the partner respect um that sarah mostly understands uh and will get in on playing games with me uh we're both very excited for uh super mario 3d world to come out tomorrow and we're going to play through it uh together um when the Super Mario 3D All-Stars collection came out, uh, we had to like split split it up because like I wanted to play 64, she wanted to play Galaxy, and it's like, okay, who gets to play now? We both play Animal Crossing. Um, so she she's mostly into it. Yeah, my husband is really like understanding, like he's like, go for it, but he has zero interest at all. Like he didn't grow up playing video games, and so they just don't really appeal to him. It's almost like a video game like blindness, I think. He's played a little bit, like a tiny bit of Mario Kart. Uh, uh, we played with you and Sarah once um, a little bit yeah. of like Super Mario 3D World, I think, or New Super Mario Brothers U, I can't remember. And um, we, he's played like a couple of rounds of Tetris 99, but it's just not like at all something that he's interested in. Yeah, but you've noted before that he plays a lot of mobile gaming of mobile games, right? Yes. Like, oh, he plays yeah. a lot on his phone. So that's that's a good point. Yeah, when like uh, he finds like a mobile game that appeals to him, he does. He goes like all in on it for sure. Yeah. So I think for for both of us, it's a it's a a combination of like our partners do it too in whatever form they they do, but also just like 
I don't know when uh, <laughs> I'm going to sound like I'm old here, but we are old. Um, like you just reach an age where you're like, yeah, the, the person you're with has interests that aren't exactly the same as totally. yours. Like you let them do it slash you get involved with it sometimes. And like, it's fine. It's fun. Um, what are the other parts of this question? Uh, how, how on earth do you afford uh, slash find time to play all the games that you play? Um, I, well, I've, I feel like we don't actually play that many games. <laughs> yeah, I kind of I kind of feel that way too. I mean, I think for sure once we started doing this podcast, I buy more games mm-hmm. than I bought previously because like I've always enjoyed video games, but as far as um, you know, like for a few years now or before I did this podcast, like I wasn't buying very many games a year. I was just like following the news and everything. Um, but I think what happened, and so I I think compared to maybe other people, like I don't buy that many games a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like playing them, like there are a t- very few games do I play all the way to the end. Like mm-hmm. a lot of these games get pick, I pick them up, I play for like a few hours, and then I either like move on to the next thing because it's being released, and so I have to talk about that, or I just like lose interest. And I'm past the point of, like, forcing myself to finish a game. Yeah, I mean, certainly, and that's another thing I think that comes with age where you're just like, I'm done with this experience. I'm going to move on to the next one. Um, but, like, I, I also think that you and I for this show, you know, we, we've always been, like, the only thing that we have that no other video game show has is the two of us. Um, so, like, we're never going to make ourselves play. I'm not going <laughs> to. Well, never. We have done in the past. Um, but we're, we're, we're not going to make ourselves play a lot of games that we don't want to play. Um, so, like, you know, we just we just pick the games that, that we're interested in and play those and talk about them. Yeah, because I also think, like, in the early days of this podcast, like, we would try to, like, play a game or play enough of a game that we could have, like, an episode about that game. Right. And and rarely do we do that for new releases now. Um, just because, like, we're either trying to cram in a bunch of gameplay over a weekend or, and you, there's no way we finish it, or we're talking about a new game, like, months after it's already been released. So we've kind of just, like, completely dropped that. And so it's taken off some of the pressure of, like, having to play these games. We'll pick up the game's that are interesting to us and then sample them for as long as we want to play them. But there's no like pressure to like, we don't have to review them. And I think that's helped a lot too. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess the last other thing here is like, do you have any other hobbies? Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've both, we've talked, we talked about uh, the reading that we do or, or comics. Um, I don't know. Other, other hobbies at this point, like, yeah, I I feel like uh, the pandemic has changed some of it because like, well, Again, we'll never know. <laughs> All right. Next, uh, we have suggestions from Patrick. Uh, it is not me. Uh, random number generating. Number one, uh, I have a vote for you discussing your favorite non-insurrection-causing conspiracy theories. I'm thinking more like Supernatural, Area 51, uh, Bigfoot, Loch Ness, etc. Mark, where do you stand on non-insurrection-causing conspiracy theories? So, uh, like of the ones that are here, I think, I think a- Area Fifty One is probably the most realistic, and not Area Fifty One itself, but like, I mean, at this point, hasn't the military basically just like admitted that there are UFOs? Y- yes, but I mean, it's the the term UFO is so funny because like we have it mapped onto 
flying saucer, men from outer space, whatever. Um, but like UFO is just an unidentified flying object. Like it is not, uh, there are unidentified things in the sky all the time, (laughs) you know? Um, and especially now that we live in, in an era of, uh, drones. Um, but like, yeah, even, even in the past, like, you know, it's just because something is unidentified doesn't mean that it's alien. (laughs) What about you? Do you have a, uh, like a favorite conspiracy theory? Uh, I don't, not, not really. I mean, I guess like, uh, area 51 is, is a good one. Um, just because like, there's so much about the, uh, military and the military industrial complex, uh, as it like spins out of the early 20th century, where it's just like, there's so much we don't know about, uh, what they got up to during all that time. And it's like a, a seemingly infinite amount of money and an infinite amount of like loyalty from uh soldiers and uh people who are involved um in 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 the army in the uh, air force and all of that um so like yeah there's there's definitely more there that we do. and and also i'm saying there's definitely more there there might not be um <laughs> but like that that leaves the biggest question marks for me um something like loch ness monster like that's i don't even know if that's a conspiracy theory right like that's more of like a myth um and like ditto, ditto Bigfoot, right? Like it's all um, just sort of like fun myth making, which feels way different than conspiracy theories to me. The one thing I will say for the Loch Ness Monster, not like the Loch Ness Monster in particular, but I do think that like there is uh, obviously there's so much like unknown about the ocean and about deep, deep yes. water that you're like, oh, like really anything could be in there. And we have absolutely no idea. Oh, I love deep deep ocean when you get down so deep that there's no that there's no sunlight um and, and therefore uh like the the life that's down there has to like come from somewhere else like from fish feeding off like whale carcasses or uh the uh biomes that spring up around volcanic vents in in the bottom of the ocean that stuff's so cool doesn't i don't, I don't think it falls under conspiracy theory though. <laughs> i think you're right um yeah i don't know i in general, I'm not, I'm not like super into conspiracy theories or like conspiracies. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 the same way. Just like I'm not really into um like supernatural stuff or like spiritual stuff. Um, like I don't I don't think there are ghosts. Uh, you know, like I I I don't believe in like the zodiac or you know like all all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm just I feel like I'm too uh grounded and cynical uh now to really care too much about any of that and you know the uh the question is leading us away from uh insurrection and causing conspiracies and i do think that there is like a big a big part of like the acceptance of conspiracy theories now has like driven people to believe things uh that just like aren't true and then acting in harmful ways based on that yeah i think that's total i think that's totally true and i you know, like I am basically not on Twitter anymore. And it's because like I found myself all like almost doing the same thing because you're like following a set group of like yeah. people. And so and so it really does just become this like echo chamber. And it's so easy to like fall down the spiral of like, well, th- if like A happens, then B happens and C happens. Then all the way you're all of a sudden you're like all the way at Z and like nothing has happened. Right. And also none of it makes sense. And we end up like talking about this kind of stuff on the show too, just because like there are conspiracy theories about like 
what happened with Nintendo stuff mm-hmm. or like the Grinch leak, remember from the, the oh, Smash yeah. Brothers from a, a couple of years ago, where it's like, oh yeah, here are the six uh, DLC characters. Uh, and, it, you know, like there's like photographic evidence and all this stuff that I guess, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> Um, our next suggestion comes from Link. Uh, Link says, uh, relating to the upcoming 433 episode, I wanted to request that you possibly talk about your favorite Zelda game. Uh, now, I guess it is important to note here that this is us talking about a Nintendo. This is us talking about Nintendo. So uh, I just wanted to state that for the purposes of this episode of this show, our instruments are not talking about Nintendo. So for this chunk of 433, we will talk about something Nintendo-related, still fulfilling the contract of the piece. Mark, what are your favorite Zelda games? <laughs> I think my answer to this question used to be a Link to the Past for a very long time. And Link to the Past is still like you know one of my Desert Island games. But um, I've, Breath of the Wild, for me, has taken its place. I loved my experience of playing Breath of the Wild. Uh, I thought it was just like magical and it was fun to be experiencing it with everybody at the same time and learning all the new things you could do or things I never thought to try that are buried in that game. Like uh, I am really looking forward to the sequel, but also I know in my heart that like the sequel will never be able to replace the experience of playing that first game for the first time because just that sense of like unknown and discovery and what felt like the infinite possibilities were yeah. it was like delightful it was it was so much fun i am a little worried i i totally agree with you breath of the wild is one of my favorite zelda games one of my favorite games of all time um but i do worry about what the game is like or wh- 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 how how like i don't know how to separate it from the moment it came out in right totally um from like he- here's the switch it is a-, a system that allows you to play anywhere you want any way you want and here's a game that is similarly focused on experiencing exactly the way you want to um and they're just being all this like energy and excitement and mystery around it um i wonder like i I don't know if there's any recapturing that even if i'd never played the game like if i was picking up for the first time now in 2021 it's not the same world right like people know it there are all these like exploits and uh speed run uh techniques and all this stuff that like the game is probably just like a different animal now yeah. Mark, you you mentioned that you're uh you're off twitter um right now so uh maybe you haven't seen there's a a uh like one of these has to go um memes going around and it uh the entrants are breath of the wild wind waker ocarina of time and link to the past Ooh. um wait what are the options again because i'm okay, assuming so- you're forcing me to choose yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a good it's a good talking point here. Breath of the Wild, Wind Waker, Ocarina of Time, Link to the Past. So for me, I think it would be Wind Waker, and that's based purely on I haven't played the game for at least a decade at this point, right? I didn't buy the Wii U um, remake because I don't have a Wii U, and so it's the Mark. one I've I played not. You know, like I haven't played it recently and the other ones I've played much more recently. And there is a ton I remember loving about Wind Waker. There's a lot about it. I remember it being frustrating on the GameCube. And so Wind Waker for me would be the one to go. Um, I'm going to make a uh, wholly selfish choice here and cut Link to the Past. Because, because, <laughs> because I know it inside and out. I have played it probably 50 times. Um, I can play the game in my sleep. 
Uh, I don't need it to physically exist anymore to have gotten all the joy from it I'm ever going to get from it. So if, oh, I see. So if it disappears, it's not like it disappears from your memory. It's just that like from this point forward, you'd no longer be able to uh, I mean, interact with it. I, yeah, I mean, that that is tough. I guess that is what I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, that I'm just, I'm just, all copies of it disappear. Okay, I because I th- it, for whatever reason I interpreted the question as like as if it had never existed, and I thought you were gonna say, oh, let's remove Link to the Past, because then we like uh, when we talk about Zelda, we could talk about things that are not linked to the past. <laughs> um, although maybe I have to take that back because I do feel like um I will reach an age uh, where you know there's there'll be creeping dementia and I won't recognize anyone around me, and someone will have to put a Super Nintendo controller in my hand uh, and put Link to the Past on the TV, and I will spring back to life. Like that is going to be one of my like core memories. So maybe I can't maybe I can't let it go. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I will say in favor of removing Ocarina of Time. Well, all right. Ooh, that's a hot take that I'll have to save for an- another day. Um, all right. Our, our next suggestion comes from Adam at and extinction on Twitter. Uh, he says, 433 question. What are your top five favorite Star Wars characters and why? This one's rough. <laughs> this one's rough. Mark, I, will, I won't lie to you. I saw this in our Twitter mentions uh, and I've been stressed out about it <laughs> ever since I saw it. <laughs> do, do you have a list here? I don't have a list. I think maybe we can work through this together. I, okay, so one that I'm going to put up there is like, I think BB-8 would be in my top five because wow. just like otters are the perfect animal, I think BB-8 yeah, is the top, good. is like the, like when you, I look, I love R2-D2. I grew up with R2-D2. R2-D2 is my friend, but you put R2-D2 next to BB-8 in those movies and you're like, R2-D2 is lame and old. Yeah, I mean, I think the oldness of R2-D2 definitely comes through when you get BB-8 in the mix, right? Like, there's something, like, crotchety and, like, no, I'm just going to do it my way about (laughs) R2-D2. And again, I love him. He's my friend. (laughs) But I I think I got to be with you. If I I were to have a droid on my top five, I would would go BB-8 as well. So my other ones are a little bit more complicated. Like, uh, I think, of course, like, Han Solo is a top five character. Luke Skywalker is a top five character. Oh man, I didn't even think about the villains. Ooh, I this know. is so it's, hard. It's so tempting to be like, my top five characters, they're Chewbacca, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Leia, and uh, Darth Vader. Like, what, what, what even is the question? Man, yeah, that's, that's really hard. Because, so for me, in, in this way, you have to exclude Rise of Skywalker. I know there are people who really like that movie. For me, it didn't work, and I was really sad with how some, like, where some of the characters ended up. But excluding that, I think Rey and Kylo Ren are like really yeah. interesting characters. Oh, and I think they even get through Rise of Skywalker pretty well, really. Um, save like the weirdness of the kiss before, uh, before. Um, Ben dies. Um, but yeah, I I think Kylo Ren is in my top five uh characters. Um I I'm a big Adam Driver fan. I, I think he's great. Um I he's so funny. <laughs> he doesn't even have to try, he just is. Um but yeah, I, I think the the arc of of that character um feeling the pull towards the light side but choosing the dark side over and over again. Um, is so interesting and like a fun uh, like inversion of the Luke Skywalker thing, um, and you know for me the sequel trilogy is all about 
like working out a Star Wars fan's relationship to Star Wars originally. And I understand that like the sort of meta naval gazing can be like a bit much for people, but like uh, the how it's personified in Kylo Ren is just so cool and compelling to me. Yeah. And I would put Obi-Wan in there. And I think Obi-Wan for me, that that love comes from the uh, prequel trilogy. And it's not even so much like Obi-Wan in the movies, who I think Ewan McGregor does like a great job, but it's like Obi-Wan as this like uh, expanded universe, not yeah. necessarily in like the, you know, novel, like expanded universe way, but like expanded universe and just like Obi-Wan existing in all of these, uh, like through all both of those eras is so like cool and exciting. Clone Wars Obi-Wan has great like, war dad energy like there's there's something very interesting there um that i i really like we're down to a minute here so um also from the prequels i gotta say uh that uh queen padme amidala is uh one of my favorite characters largely because of the uh queen shadow and queen's peril novels by uh, ek johnston um that really dig into like how her uh handmaidens um work uh, and how that like the costume changing is is uh, hugely important. Um, I think Leia is uh, in my like top five uh, favorite characters. Um, she's great. I love seeing the transformation from uh, like war princess to like general who's still grinding at it after all these years. No, it, but it's it's so de- it's, it's so depressing. It's <laughs> yeah. so depressing. Leia's story. Leia's arc is so awful. It's it's so depressing, but I love that she never gives up though. Like, yeah. um, there, there's something really uh, awesome about that. I also love uh, Hera Sandula and uh, Chopper from the Rebel series. And we're out of time. <laughs> um, all right, Mark, we have now done ten of these. Let's take a little break. Our next suggestion comes from Jason. Jason says, "Enjoy the podcast." I love all the Broadway music and classical music references. For 433, go complete meta and talk about John Cage himself, if you haven't already, or any other music topic. Avant-garde, Philip Glass minimalism, any art music related would be awesome. Um, I feel, I yeah. feel like I should just kind of like cede the floor to you, Patrick. <laughs> um, I can't remember if we've talked about like John Cage himself, and not that I know very much, because you were the one who came up with the idea for Forge 33. I remember, uh, I, and I wonder if this is how you remember it as well, like um, in the, before we even started doing this podcast, but we were talking about it, like meeting mm-hmm. for lunch. And it was an idea that you came in with that you were like very like excited about. And it's been like a defining feature of the show forever. And it's, it's very interesting because it's like so specific to your knowledge and interest and like not at all yeah. Nintendo related. Right. Well, and I mean, I, I think early on, uh, I, I think we wanted the show to have a lot of structure to it. Yeah. Um, and, and we still like the news episodes are, are very structured uh, as, as far as podcasts are concerned. Um, you know, we have things that we need to get through. Um, and I wanted to make sure that we had a space for us to just like kind of talk and be ourselves. Um, and I don't really know what made me connect it to 433, especially because it's such a um, perversion of what that piece is, <laughs> right? Because, um, like, I mean, even even the fact that we are like sort of timing it out, like right now to four minutes and thirty three seconds, isn't really true to the uh, like heart of what four thirty three is. We only call it that because the first recorded performance of it, and recorded, I just mean like observed, um, was it lasted for four minutes and thirty three seconds. 
technically, however long you sit silent on stage um, becomes the title of the piece. So, like, if we were sitting on stage for seven and a half minutes, suddenly now the piece is called seven minutes and 30 seconds. Um, and, you know, obviously, <laughs> the, the fact that we are talking and making content of any kind uh, that's not just silence uh, for four and a half minutes uh, is totally a, a violation. <laughs> we are not fulfilling the contract of the piece at all. And so uh, were you exposed to 43 in school when you were going, when you were in college? Um, I think so. It's, it's tough to say because 433 isn't uh, like I've never, I've never been present for a performance of it. Um, but it is, it's one of those things that like gets sort of thrown around in, when in like, uh, music history and, and music theory classes where it's, you're sort of like testing the bounds of what is and isn't music. Um, and what, one of my favorite examples of this is a, a, a Lamont Young piece, um, where the, uh, the instructions are that the, it, it's for a, a, a pianist, um, and the performer has to bring a bale of hay out to the piano. And then two things happen. Either the piano decides to eat the bale of hay. And, and, and if that happens, then uh, the audience has to wait until the piano has finished eating the bale of hay. Or the piano decides not to eat the bale of hay and the performer calls the end of the piece. Um, and like, that's, that's one of those things where it's just like, is that music? Is it performance art? Like, is it just a theoretical exercise? Um, and like, I love that. I love that sort of stuff. It's so dumb. Uh, and, but like, it's, it's worth pressing against the boundaries of like what is and is not music, especially as you are uh, like in music school, right? Like you spend so much, so much time, too much time um, studying the way, you know, Bach would voice chords or, or counterpoint or whatever. Um, and you spend so much time in, uh, you know, the 16th, 17th, 18th century, mostly German almost exclusively white, uh, you know, old idiots, um, some of whom are anti-Semitic and awful, um, and just, like, carrying that tradition forward. And so, like, challenging it any way you can um, is good, but I feel like there are so many more, like, baseline ways to do that that are more, like, embracing of what music actually is. Yeah, I'm curious in your, like, um, when you were going to school and even just, like, in your music, like, playing history and career, like, has that... Uh, in your own music, have you found yourself wanting to like uh, push those boundaries? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, absolutely. I when when I was a when I used to write music, um, I like to sit in dissonance a lot. Um, and you know, I like to find ways to use a, a bigger chord palette. Um, but I mean, a, a lot of that is just like me sort of discovering jazz voicings on my ah man. Guess. I guess we'll never know the, the rest of that. Um, all right. Uh, next, we have two suggestions from Brennan. Uh, so I'm going to randomly generate a number between one and two. The number is two. Uh, Brennan would like us to talk about our favorite indie games because uh, he has not heard a, a ton about them. Um, so I guess this is us sort of talking about Nintendo again. <laughs> this one, uh, for whatever reason, is like hard it's difficult for me to like conjure a list of indie games that I've played because while I've played a lot of indie games since owning a Switch particularly and enjoyed a lot of them, they are not like top of mind for me. What about Stardew, man? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's such a great point. It's so funny because I think of like uh, the fact that Stardew Valley is like developed by one person is so remarkable yeah. because I, I 
think of Stardew Valley as such an institution at this point. <laughs> but you're right. It is. That is totally an indie game. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I and I, I think we do talk a, a fair amount about um, uh, indie games on this show. Um, you know, I, I just picked up and played uh, Cyber Shadow last week, the, the new um, game being published by Yacht Club, the uh, Shovel Knight guys. Um, that's, a, that's an indie game. Um, I did stop like right at the end of that game because the difficulty curve was getting too too sharp for me. Um, but yeah, I, I like that a lot. It's a, a ninja Ninja Gaiden like game. Um, yeah, I I really liked uh, Katana Zero, which came out mm-hmm. man maybe like two or three years ago at this point. Still waiting for that DLC, but uh, <laughs> like absolutely loved my time with it. It's interesting you bring up um, Cyber Shadow and Yacht Club games because I guess like. Like you are a hundred percent correct that that is an indie game, but also I what I think is interesting is like the blurring of the lines between what is an indie game and what is uh not because like Yacht Club's games is it itself kind of an institution at this point, and it started from this very like small indie game place, and I, you know it's not challenging any of the publishers, even in the, any of the small publishers, right at this point. But at the same token, it's like. When do we stop considering Yacht Club Games like an independent, I guess just an independent publisher? Yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, what's, yeah, absolutely, the the lines of what is and is not an indie game are are kind of being blurred. And partially because, like you say, um, like when they originally put out Shovel Knight and had kickstarted that bad boy, and the reason that there were, you know, f- four extra campaigns for that game was because those were all stretch goals, right? Um in a Kickstarter campaign. So they definitely started as a, an indie studio. Yeah. I guess if you, yeah, maybe it does feel a little bit weirder to call them a, a, an indie studio now. But I, I don't think you're wrong. I think like most people, like I certainly consider it an indie studio. What I, I just think it's interesting, like the blurring of those lines where like indie yeah. games have become such a huge part of the industry that um, like in the most recent Nintendo's earning report, uh, when they were, when one of the investors w- the question that they posed was like, how come you, like, what are the reasons that you've seen this like increase in digital sales? And, yeah. you know, they attributed it to, yes, like a lot of that is like the pandemic and stuff. But additionally, it is just like the boom of indie games and indie games are such a big part of the gaming in- ecosystem at this point. Yeah. And I mean, have a big part of the gaming ecosystem and a big part of, I feel like my gaming diet too. Like I played Owlboy on the Switch. Um, I played uh, The Messenger, which, you know, again, just uh, off of uh, Katana Zero and Cyber Shadow is, you know, like a ninja game. Murder by Numbers, yeah. um, uh, Monster Prom, like all these are indie games that rule, like are so good. Um, and I've got a bunch of others that are just like sitting at uh, Overcooked 1 and 2, like I, some of like the best game experiences I've had on that system are are, are indie games. Yeah, totally. And for me, like, um, I was aware of indie games, but I didn't really play any until they started coming to the Switch. And so I've been doing a lot of like catch up this generation. Like one of the first indie games I bought was Cave Story, which that's been around yeah, that's right. ever. But I love Cave Story and that's not, you know, like uh, everybody knew it was great, but I just hadn't experienced it. And so that has been a fun aspect of the Switch is like, because um, I never had like a gaming PC and I wasn't really yeah. buying them on the PlayStation. And so uh, kind of like being really back like into games for this podcast and waiting for those like tentpole releases to come, filling it with these like indie games has been such a, it's been a fun discovery for me. 
Yeah. And also, if it counts as an indie game, Hades, right? Like, I, I've poured over 100 hours into that game. And, like, Supergiant has a place now that is, oh, well, I guess <laughs> we will never know. Uh, our next suggestion comes from Josh. Josh writes, my suggestion for the 433 episode is chain restaurants. I wanted to pick something that was that pretty much anyone could talk about and relate to, and also something that wasn't too nerdy. Nerdy stuff is cool, but I figured you'd get a lot of, a lot of suggestions <laughs> like that. Josh, you're correct. Also, joke's um, on you, Josh, because anything that Patrick and I talk about is going to be nerdy. nerdy. Uh, plus you guys can work uh, or you can do your best Doughboys impressions congrats on the milestone keep up the good work ah yes the the famous milestone of 433rd episode <laughs> everyone celebrates it of course Johnny Carson did his uh, Conan did his um, before we move off of the, the Doughboys reference uh, I'm a big fan of Doughboys <laughs> uh, I've, I, I, I've I, never listened to an episode you've never listened to Doughboys I've never listened to Doughboys um, is it because uh, you're too familiar with uh, Nick Weiger and uh, Mike Mitchell as human beings and performers <laughs> at UCB. No, it's it. Uh, it's not. It's purely like, it's purely just like I never have. It's it's the same reason why there's like so many TV shows that people tell me are sure. great that I've never gotten into. It just feels overwhelming to like start. But I, uh, you know, um, there was when improv was still happening at theaters and stuff and. You yes. and I were performing. Uh, I was on a Herald team. And um, so Mike Mitchell and I are the emails for coming from the theater would get like mixed up fairly often. Sure. And so I'm sure like we never interacted in real life, but there were a lot of times where we were doing handoffs on email chains being like, and I think you meant to send this to Mike or Mike being like, <laughs> and I think you sent this, meant to send this to Mark. So for there was a time where we were very familiar with each other's email addresses. <laughs> That's that's good. <laughs> Familiar with each other's email addresses. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I guess we can move on to the um, chain restaurants uh, part of this. Um, I, I feel like my exposure to chain restaurants has gone. Uh, I mean, first of all, uh, went down when I stopped eating meat, um, which has now been, my God, six, seven years. It's been a long time. Um, but uh, even more once uh, the pandemic uh has kind of stuck us all at home. Um, but I don't know, what, what is your relationship to chain restaurants like right now? Chain, well, chain restaurants, like I grew up eating at chain restaurants all yeah. the time, right? Like, um, and so I still like have a huge soft spot for chain restaurants, but um, living in LA, the chain restaurants are just not really around. They're around like the periphery of LA, but it's yeah. other than like fast food restaurants, but like sit down chain restaurants, like a Chili's, or an Outback, or something like that, like, they aren't really, they're not super accessible, but if they yeah, were, yeah. I would eat there way more often than I do. <laughs> I feel like there are, there are a handful of Denny's. Oh, um, for sure, that are for around. sure. Uh, yeah, like, there, there, there's, there's a couple, like, uh, there's that IHOP, um, uh, like, right across the street from the In-N-Out in West Hollywood. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Like chain restaurants, like as far as like franchises, like they are all over the place. Yeah. Um, you know, like uh Hawaiian barbecue or like Subway, like all that kind of stuff everywhere. I'm thinking more like specifically like the like dinner, like a Ruby Tuesday, like that kind of stuff. Sure. I feel like or like an Olive Garden, yeah. Yeah, there's just not that much of it in LA outside of like Cheesecake Factory. I feel like that's probably the most accessible one. <laughs> Uh, there was a time that you and I tried to go to dinner at Cheesecake Factory, but the line was too long, 
So we went across the street to like the Outback That's Steakhouse. That's right. And that Outback Steakhouse <laughs> doesn't exist anymore. Nope, it does not. Uh, does that Cheesecake Factory still exist? Probably. Probably. Um, the uh, What was I going to say? Oh, uh, yeah. Were there any chain restaurants that were like a regular hangout for you in high school? Not a chain restaurant. There was like this like 50s mm. diner that it went through a number of, uh, yeah, it went through a number. Yeah. Going back to like how late were you in high school? Uh, it yeah. went through like a number of name changes, but like at one point it was called Chubby's and we went there like as like a family as kids when it was like first open and was like really fun and new. And then like eventually like that newness wore off and it kind of became like run down and a little bit gross. But, like, in high school, we would go there because it was cheap and, like, pretty close to campus. We used to do Applebee's all the time. Mm. Um, like, I, I think, like, the Applebee's opened when I was, like, a sophomore or something a, a, in high school. And so we were like, oh, my God, let's go hang out at Applebee's. Um, which, you know, is really just, like, what, you know, like, chicken tenders and, like... But I, I but feel like great though. I feel like the like '90s was a big time of expansion for these restaurants yeah. because there were a lot. Well, we'll never <laughs> know. We'll never know. Um, all right. Next uh, suggestion comes from Martin. Martin has given us four suggestions, so I'm going to random number generate. Uh, <clears throat> Martin's suggestion is: What instruments would you play in an orchestral version of 433? Well, I mean, none, right? We would play no instruments in, in 433? But, but, well, but for in 433, do you bring out instruments like you are going to play and then you do not play? Yeah. I mean, in its in its original conception, it was a, a man at a piano. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of uh, the, you know, like the cover that comes down over the keys um, that you start the piece by closing the cover mm-hmm, over the mm-hmm. piano. And then when it ends, you open it back up. So I think for me, if I were to um, like bring an instrument out on stage i i've always wanted to play the violin like i think it'd be great to be good at the violin and Uh so that is the one that i would choose to not play for 433 that's pretty good um yeah i mean it's you know i i do i play the bass uh upright and electric um i can sort of play guitar i can sort of play piano i can play the ukulele um so i feel like i'd i if called upon to actually play those instruments I feel like I could do it, so I shouldn't do it for 433, right? right? Um, there was a... I honestly don't remember how this wound up in my possession, but at some point after college, I owned a trombone, and I don't remember why, <laughs> but I had a trombone, and I was like, oh, you know, I've, as long as I've got it, I'll try to teach myself how to play it. Um, this is as I was living in a uh, brownstone in Chicago on the first floor of uh, three floors, so like three apartments in this uh, building. And was living with someone who played tuba. Um, so uh, occasionally when we would get drunk and be up too late, we would try to play tuba and <laughs> trombone pieces together. Um, and I was, uh, I was always awful at it. Uh, and I ended up selling it to my friend Jason. And I know Jason listens sometimes. So what's up, Jason, if, if you're listening now? Um, and uh, so my, my friend Jason uh, bought the trombone off of me uh, before I moved out to L.A. Um, and I guess he didn't pay me. Um, like, and I don't remember, we agreed on like 30 bucks, 40 bucks, whatever for the, for this trombone. And then years later, I just get a Venmo <laughs> notification <laughs> that Jason sent me 40 bucks for the trombone. It was amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. When did so maybe, you start? Maybe... Oh, God. I was just going to ask, when did you start first playing, um, music? Like, did your parents like, 
where they like you're going to take piano lessons uh so not not piano but uh no i mean my my parents are not musical people um they we didn't have like music on growing up my dad likes the beatles but like kind of beyond that i don't know like my mother doesn't really like music <laughs> um it, it i started playing because uh there was like an orchestra program and they you know brought around instruments for us to play and i liked the cello um in fourth grade and so i started on that played that for three years and then in junior high school they were like some of you cello people can uh switch on over to the to bass and i was like yeah i'll do that that's big i'm stupid i make arbitrary decisions that will affect my entire life uh based on the size of an instrument uh and so yeah that's then i just sort of carried that forward yeah that's... and then um that that was sort of buoyed by uh, my little brother started taking piano lessons and so i had someone in the family to talk about music with uh and that i i think was kind of what spurred me to uh you know take it more seriously yeah, that's awesome. I mean, because I feel like a lot of, or at least my experience, right? My parents were like, oh, like you should try an instrument. Like you should try piano. They didn't force me to do it. Like when I was taking lessons, they were like, you need to practice. Yeah. But when I was like lost interest or didn't want to do anymore, they weren't, they never forced me to do it. And so I feel like my experience was always like external where it was like, oh, like you should try this. It, uh, I mean, I'm assuming there were times where you're like, I don't want to practice, or were you always pretty much like, no, this is like something I'm really interested in? Oh, no, I was bad at practicing until I went to college for it, honestly. Um, wait, you, you were, you, uh, your parents made you take piano? Yeah, because my parents were really like, oh, like, you should try a bunch of things and yeah. see what you like. And like, piano is something that, you know, I think I was like in first grade or about to start first grade. And so I was taking like very like rudimentary piano classes. Yeah. All of my siblings were. Um, and you know, like I took I do, like yeah. a few like theory classes and stuff. And it's one of those things that like, I think being able to play an instrument is like being able to speak, a, uh, multiple languages. Like it's such an amazing skill to have. And so I wish that I would have pursued it, but that's Dang the end it. of that. <laughs> that's that, that one. I feel like we could have kept going on for a while, but this is the harsh nature of 433. Our next suggestions come from Benton and Brian. They gave us six suggestions. So here we go. Random number generator. Uh, number two, we are doing some cabin fever reminiscing. We are going to talk about our favorite things about staying at a hotel. This is a good one, Mark. <laughs> this is like classic 433 right here. What do you like about staying in a hotel? I love everything pretty much about staying at a hotel. I love staying in hotels. I think it's from like being a kid and being so excited to go on these like road trips. As a family, we would go to Disneyland like every year. And I remember, you know, like staying in a hotel and being able to jump in the hotel pool and yeah. all of that was just like so like fun and magical. Man, having a, a hotel pool is that's that's golden. It's so good. Um, there, there was a time that uh, my the band that I was in in Chicago, which was a, a band called Sonic Weapon Fence, we only wrote and performed songs about the TV show Lost. Yes, I'm serious. Um, we we were uh, playing a couple places, and we played in Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, and we stayed at a hotel, and there was a pool there, and the pool was closed, and we were so disappointed. Ooh, that's, <laughs> like, that's rough. Ruined the hotel experience. Also ruining the hotel experience was our guitarist got so drunk, and he ended up throwing up in our drummer's retainer case. Um, oh. it, <laughs> it was it was bad news. Drummer was not happy. <laughs> oh, that's awful. I, I I feel like for me, like one of the, because I 
um in my own like home in my own apartment like i'm fairly like i like things to have a place and i'd like things to be taken care of and so even like before i go to bed at night you know just i like to make sure that everything is in order so that way it's like well when i wake up like the space doesn't feel chaotic to me and so one thing i really like about hotels is like yeah like uh every day you come back and everything is like in order the bed has been made like and not having to worry about that myself like yeah not is huge a great like vacation for sure um i gotta say that the i've done a number of um conventions over the last uh couple years obviously not this last year but um whenever i've done a convention where i am also staying where like my hotel room is either uh, like across the street or like it's it's at the convention um that that's the best thing in the world like when you can retire from con activities and just go upstairs to your room or like wake up and be like at the convention within minutes um is incredible uh this uh pete and i did this uh uh, at the last uh playstation experience uh where we stayed like on the same block as the um uh the convention center right there um was great that you just like wake up and like you're surrounded by people who are already there to like see playstation stuff and like people are talking i don't know there's that's a very cool like communal experience one of the uh um like for the longest time i thought nothing of like walking on hotel floors my bare feet like all that kind of stuff but for my uh for my husband and i for our honeymoon we went to china and one of the things like there is that every hotel room right there they're providing you slippers that you can like slip into Mm. so that way you're not like walking on the floor and now like i'm like every place should be doing this everywhere should be providing me like everywhere i go should be providing me slippers so i don't have to walk on the ground I love that. You know what else I love about a hotel is whatever the breakfast situation is. Oh, like, yes. Yeah. Man, if there's if there's a continental breakfast or like a little bit like a continental plus like eggs, um that's awesome. Knowing that you can just like come downstairs and there's going to you got one meal taken care of, knocked yeah. out. And the th- like I love I I like eating at hotel restaurants even though you're like, look, I know this is overpriced. Yeah. I know it's going to be like okay. But um, it just it's just like all part of the like not being at home experience. Yeah, well, and honestly, like a hotel bar is great too. Like where you just you have a drink and then again just go upstairs. Like you take <laughs> whatever is like dangerous or like kind of iffy about a, a drinking and a driving situation. Just cut the driving out entirely. Like <laughs> you just uh, drink and then go upstairs. It's fantastic. Yeah, I feel like there is something like like less magical about a hotel as an adult or at least it's like a different type of magic yeah i i there is real magic in like not having to clean or make breakfast you know like there there is something all right uh our next suggestion comes from uh matt acevedo a former guest on the show um and good friend uh matt says growing up whenever i needed to get motivated or pump myself up uh, I'd hear a bunch of uh, anime theme songs in my head. The Sonic X theme blasted in my brains as I ran the mile. The Dragon Ball Z theme would pump me up whenever I needed to finish a time test. Even today, songs like Peace Sign from My Hero Academia fuel my willpower into completing whatever I need to do. This is super specific, but what, uh, what are your go-to pump, pump you up songs? Bonus points if they're anime or game openings. Um, Mark, do you have any that come to mind here? 
Ooh, um, probably the the anime one that comes to mind for me is uh, it's a song called Understar by the band Shocking Lemon, and it was the uh opening theme song for the anime uh Hajime no Ippo, which is like a boxing anime. Um, uh-huh. and I and I don't I can't remember which iteration of it it is because I think it's been had multiple like series. But it yeah. was, I, and I can't remember what season it was because they switched out the opening song every season. But uh, "Understar" by Shocking Lemon was one is like a definite pump up song for me. Don't understand the words at all; it's all in Japanese, but love it <laughs> and try to sing along to it to an embarrassing degree. That that's awesome. <laughs> um, and and you, uh, th- is that like one that you're singing to yourself or one that you actually like actively put on to pump yourself up? One that I actively put on to pump myself. Uh, because me singing it is a disaster. <laughs> there, so this isn't anime, but it is a a cartoon theme song. Um, one that always just like lodges itself in my head when I'm running or biking, anything that I'm uh, doing for like a long time, skiing. Uh, if it's like an endurance thing and I'm moving, um, the theme song to Chippendales Rescue Rangers uh, gets, and it's. I mean, until it gets to the uh, like the chorus part of it, it's very like kind of chill and mysterious, and I've never understood why. Um, that is, I don't, I don't even know if like pump me up is right, but it's like get in this groove, you know, the some times, some crimes, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta say that the um, there's like a orchestral suite arrangement of um the original Metal Gear Solid theme. That like dun 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 um obviously goes on longer than that uh and has like these like soaring string parts and stuff um I'll, I'll put that on sometimes when I want to get pumped up um but also like the entirety of uh, Anamanaguchi's um Scott Pilgrim versus the World the video game uh, soundtrack is it's good pump me up music and it's good like head down power through whatever work you need to do yeah um yeah yeah totally that it's uh i've tried listening to other anamanaguchi albums and stuff and it doesn't hit me the same way like i yeah. really like the scott pilgrim soundtrack another video game music that i really like for pumping pumping me up is um the Wii arrangement of the punch out like theme is yes. so good <laughs> yeah that's true that that's a great one um yeah and it's just it's just putting like all those big band instruments behind the original punch out totally i mean it's absolutely just like uh a little bit of okay let's write a version of like the rocky theme song that isn't copyright infringement but it totally works (laughs) um uh uh, on a very like relevant to now subject um i've been putting on the uh end credit the credits roll uh track from super mario 3d world um which again is just like an an awesome like live sounding big band arrangement of uh all the themes from that game like jammed together um and it's so cool and so energetic i love it to pieces um trying to think of what else i, I used to like pump myself up music wise yeah i feel i feel like rec- more recently i've been using like uh instead of pumping myself up i've just been like okay like what music do i want to just like kind of like yeah. chill out or like have on in the background while i'm like working and that sort of stuff and so on youtube there's like so many different like legend of zelda with uh um like rain sounds in the background like musics that i listen to but i also have been listening to a ton of like just like theme park background music 
because it's a double hitter for me where it's like okay i miss yeah. going to theme parks i so like having like that like music is a <clears throat> cool like comfort and then also just um like some of them are great track loops like the uh the ones for like the jungle cruise queue or like the tower of terror at disney yeah they're like they're just like great like totally way different genres than you know like video game music but uh just like i just enjoy it's the closest i can get to being there you know what i mean right the the ah man (laughs) oh i guess we'll never know um, one thing I do want to shout out, and I'm going to do it uh, off of the, the, the time constraint there, just because you, you mentioned like um, sort of like lo-fi chill stuff. Um, uh, Ape at Betty, the, the man behind Ape at Betty, Brian Teo, um, did a series of lo-fi uh, like Christmas music um, uh, recordings oh, cool. um, that are available on YouTube um, under uh, the name Sleep Facing West. Um, there's like five of them, and I know it is no longer Christmas. Um, but I've got them like saved on a, a playlist on on my YouTube account. They are excellent listening, very chill. Um, not really of the spirit of uh, Eight Bit Betty, but like really, really awesome. That Brian is the the real deal. Um, all right, our next suggestion comes from Connor McCabe. Uh, what up, Connor? Uh, Connor says, I finally thought of a segment for 433, so here it is. I'd love to hear you both discuss the lucky articles of clothing you have had throughout your lives thanks and i hope this isn't terrible um connor me too i hope this isn't terrible it's a good suggestion do you have any lucky clothing mark hmm no um i don't really have anything that like i specifically where i was like i need good luck right like participating in like a sports uh game or like anything like that but for me like there are absolutely articles of clothing that like you set aside for like special occasions. And by special occasions, yes. I mean like I'm going to Disneyland and so I want or I'm like going on vacation. So I'm like putting like these clothes specifically yep. because like either I want them to they're like super comfortable or like I like the way they look or I feel confident in them. And so that's like the outfit I'm going to wear to this event. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I one of my power outfits um now or at least that I consider a power outfit uh is uh I have a a DuckTales t-shirt that's like sort of faded um and then a flannel like a a dark blue and red uh flannel shirt that belonged to my grandfather um that I wear over that. And for me, like that is a power combo. I used to wear that to improv shows all the time cuz I'm like this is the hands down the coolest i can possibly look <laughs> it looks good it looks obscure it's uh that i i considered those lucky for for a while for and sure. i do i do think that uh um layers are the secret weapon to any power outfit 100 percent need some layers um i also have a pair of um uh bb8 socks that i i have worn on uh you know any kind of like stressful um situations over the last like couple years uh, where it's like the the BB-8 socks is just like a fun little. I know I have a nerdy Star Wars thing on, but like no one else has to know unless I point it out. Yeah. Oh, I totally know what you mean. I have like so many Nintendo socks because like GameStop had some sell where it was like you get like you know twelve or something for four bucks, and so I have I have a ton of Nintendo socks when I uh, and they're like short ones like ankle socks, and so I could wear them, and it's like ah yeah like um. 
uh, it's like a secret that I know, but nobody else knows. Um, I also, uh, I've had, um, like, uh, winter accessories that uh, I guess, I, again, I don't necessarily consider them lucky, but that have like some sort of sentimental value to me. Um, my, in college, my friend Emma knit me a pair of, um, Ninja Turtles mittens. Um, so they're, they're green and they're three fingers. So like you put, you know, your index and middle finger in one and your, uh, ring and pinky in another, and then your thumb in like a third. Um, and so I really like those cause they're Ninja Turtle-y. They're not super warm, but you know, what are you going to do? Um, and then also in college, um, I was given a, uh, a scarf, um, from one of, you know, I, I worked as a, um, uh, residence life advisor, uh, an RA basically. Um, for most of my college experience, uh, and I helped someone through a difficult night that they had. Um, and he bought me a scarf that had um, the Gryffindor colors on it. Um, and I, that I, again, not something that I ever considered lucky, but is like something that was meaningful, and that every time I put it on, I uh, thought of him in that tough night <laughs> that yeah. I helped him get through. I feel like everybody has like maybe like five pair of underwear that is like the mm, good underwear the good underwear yeah. and then you have like other pair that are not good and while theoretically you could just have all pairs of the good underwear it never works out that way like i don't even know that i would want that no you need to have something that's special like also, you need the underwear that's just like utilitarian. You wear it every day and you're like, this is fine. And not that you're wearing one pair of underwear every day. Don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, you, you need to create a designation so that when you engage the special underwear, you're like, it is a special day. Yes, you're pulling the lever. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and look, we all need these shortcuts to like, no, I'm going to feel good today. Um, and so if, if that's my special underwear, if that's my special socks, if that's, uh, oh. I guess we'll never know. Our next suggestion comes from Cretaceous Cam. Uh, Cam writes, Hi guys, as an avid Godzilla and Pacific Rim fan, I would like your input on kaiju movies. Do you have a favorite kaiju movie? A favorite monster? And most importantly, what is your stance on the new Godzilla trailer? Hopefully you see this. I'll see you guys on Thursday. Um, do people see us while we record this show? <laughs> Lucky them yeah lucky lucky them uh mark how do you feel about kaiju mm, um i like kaiju one of those things where like i like it in concept and um and so i'd like the like ephemera around it but i rarely enjoy watching a kaiju film i think the most recent one i saw um was with you and friend of the show greg smith um and some other people was uh godzilla king of the monsters yeah, I forgot that we saw that together. Yeah, I hated that movie, and you yeah, know, like not to ju- not to judge all kaiju movie. Well, and I I thought like the Kong Skull Island movie before that was also not good. Um, yeah. So for me, a team up between like, or I guess a clash between the two of them is not all that uh, like auspicious feeling. But uh, I yeah. would love to be wrong. Yeah. Did you watch the trailer? Uh, I haven't seen the trailer. I, I, I just, right now my interest level for it is really low. Yeah, me too. And also there, uh, and also uh, didn't didn't watch the trailer. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't have. Just like you, I feel like the concept of kaiju, awesome. 
Um, I, it feels the same as Scooby Doo to me, where like I like learning about them. I like the like dynamics between the characters. I don't ever want to watch an episode of Scooby Doo. Um, I don't ever really want to watch a, a kaiju movie. Um, but I do have a lot of memories of uh, you know, watching Godzilla movies in like elementary school or like middle school. Um, and there being something very like, I don't know, like off the grid about it. Like it, it, it felt like you know the non-sanctioned entertainment at the time. Um, and you know, because like the the eighties and early nineties are such a like you know prevalent monoculture of like mm-hmm. stuff that's out there. Um, and when you start to you know peek into, um, you know the any corner that has like a Japanese film or anything like that, like you start to see so much more. Um, and like for me, monster kaiju movies were like a way into that. So that's I think really where I value it now is like a way into Japanese cinema and TV and stuff. Oh yeah, that's interesting. I feel like the kaiju movies that I've seen the most of are the ones that are featured on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, totally. Like um, Gamera. Uh, mm-hmm. Like those I've seen b- by far the most. And I think like uh, they are obviously like taking those movies to task, but they're, the movies are like, um, the ones that they're showing are generally like the Gamera films were from like the 60s and, you know, they are po- really bad dubs that, you know, are, that were produced for children but in like the like yeah. talking down to children type of way. And so it's, it's, they're entertaining in that regard. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's basically like the most that I've seen. What did you think of? I never saw the second one. Did you like the first Pacific Rim? Uh, yeah, I, I, I remember liking it, but I only saw it the one time in the theater. Um, and I don't know that I really thought about it since, but like, I remember liking it. Yeah. I, I, would like at some point to go back and rewatch it because I didn't, I, I don't remember liking it that much in the theaters. Um, but I know that it is highly regarded and I remember some of it being really like pretty. And so I, yeah. I wonder if I could go back and like appreciate it more now. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a potential for so much beauty in Kaiju stuff. There was a, uh, a comic miniseries a couple of years ago out of IDW um, called uh, Godzilla in hell. Um, and it's, it's a kind of five one-off stories of Godzilla escaping the various like circles of hell. Um, and some of the art in there is just stunning, like just gorgeous stuff. And like, you know, the story is usually simplistic. Um, but, uh, yeah, just like really awesome visuals. Uh, there's nothing really that quite compares to a giant lizard in front of a a cityscape. Yeah. Um, I feel like there was a, uh, did you ever read Planetary? I think that's what it was called, like the comic mm, series. No. Well, wait, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, it, so like uh, it's about like this organization and well, I guess that's the end of that. I guess we'll never know. Um, all right. Our next suggestion comes from um, Jason. Jason says, uh, I know. Oh, and this is the one that came in under the wire. Um, Jason says, I know it is Wednesday, but I'm hoping you get this before you wake up. Um, Jason, I did get it before I woke up. So you succeeded. Um, he said, please rank the following Lego games. Mark, I'm going to start the timer while we read off the, the Lego games. Um, Star Wars The Complete Saga. Okay, not out yet. <laughs> uh, Batman 1, 2, and 3. Marvel 1 and 2. Star Wars 3 The Clone Wars. Uh, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter 1 and 2. Feel free to add any other Lego game. 
uh, Pat- Patrick, to 433 Patrick, more episodes. Yes. Before we go too far, so Lego Star Wars The Complete Saga is out. It was released in 2007. And because oh, um, it's a compilation of, the of like, the older saga. games. Yes. yes, exactly. You got me. You got me. Jason, <laughs> you got me. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yes. So, Mark, what is your experience with the... I feel like it's going to be hard for us to, to rank these, right? Yeah, I, I for sure have not played all of these. In fact, um, I think I've maybe played two and a half of them generously. Yeah, I would say that I played a fair amount of Indiana Jones, Star Wars The Complete Saga, and I think maybe the Batman 1 and 2? I really don't I, remember. Yeah, so I definitely played at least one of the Lego Batman games, um, at least one of the Lego Star Wars games, although I don't know if it was The Complete Saga or if before The Complete Saga came out, they released like separate games, yeah, so I might have just did. played like one of those. Um and then I think I played one of the Marvel ones. I can't remember if it was the first or second. Um, so yeah, so like as Lego games, I don't like I have no idea. I have no expertise. I could rank them in order of like my interest in uh, the franchises. Um, well, but I mean, bef- before we launch into that, I, I just wanted to uh, point out that I think my favorite Lego game is not on this list. Um, I think my favorite Lego game is the Lego Star Wars Force Awakens um, mm. game, which, you know, had a lot of the same sort of like Lego game formula, but did a really good job of mixing up uh, in like different kind of set pieces where like you had to take over gun turrets and like felt a little bit more varied in its level structure um, than any of the the rest of the Lego games that I'd played before. And Lego... Uh, whichever Lego Batman game, I'm assuming it's the first one that I played, but that's the one that uh, like I really, really, really had a great time playing that game. I played with my friend. Um, you know, like it was our first time playing through a, a Lego game, so yeah. all of the mechanics and everything were new. Um, we had a great time. So that Lego Batman game for me is going to be number one because it's the one that I have the fondest memories of. Uh. Okay, so then what do we do with the rest of these? I I, th- I think that that <laughs> Lego Batman, whichever one that was, and <laughs> and uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. I think I think that can be like at the top of our list. Um, and then have you never played the uh, Lego Indiana Jones game? Because it's no, really I good. Didn't, I didn't even know it existed. I mean, it's just you know, it, it it's sort of like the Lego formula at its most like Legoy, or uh, you know, at its most like basic. Um, and like you run out of interesting characters pretty quick, right? Like Star Wars is Star Wars and Marvel and DC are great for these things because there's like a, a bottomless pit of characters that you actually care about. Um, but you know, a- after like four or five, like what Indiana Jones characters do you even want to see? The the um, the chubby kid that hangs out with young Indiana Jones at the beginning of uh, <laughs> the third movie. Yeah, at the beginning of Last Crusade. Um, Wait, so I feel like d- does that yeah, Lego Indiana Jones game does it cover like the trilogy? Does it cover four movies? Is it telling its own story? Is it doing highlights? I think it was the the first three movies. It may have even come out before the uh, Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, apparently there's multiple. I'm looking it up right now. Oh my gosh, we're yeah. never going to be able to rank these. We don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Lego City Undercover. <laughs> Right, which uh, I think recent, or maybe not even recently, but that's on Switch now, too. Wow. 
Um, yeah, so it's it's, it's going to be tough for us to rank these to the point where we have 15 seconds left. So I don't know that uh, we're even running going to... out the clock. Running out the clock. <laughs> Jason, I'm uh, sorry that we mm-hmm. d- don't have enough expertise in uh, Lego games to like fully engage with this one. Uh, I would. I, I am curious what the Harry Potter ones are like. All right. Um, now we are on to Mark. This is our final 433 of this episode. Are you ready? I am ready. I'm uh, a little sad to see it that it's here already. I'm. A little I feel sad like I learned so much about you, Patrick, in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we. This is what happens when we have to talk about ourselves uh, for this long, as we end up saying <laughs> things about ourselves. Um, all right. Uh, our next and final suggestion comes from Alana. Alana gave us 11 suggestions, so I guess we could be here all day and just <laughs> do another 11 of these. But no, we are picking one at random. Number six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bump us up to seven. Uh, just, just looking at what number six is. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you, Mark. Number six was rank the following sides. French fries, onion rings, potato salad, coleslaw, potato chips, fried zucchini, pasta salad and baked beans that was number six number seven is rank all the canon skywalkers so i think uh we'll keep our my vote is we keep ourselves honest and Mm. we'll do number six but i will uh say that we should engage the seventh one um in our regularly scheduled 433 next tuesday because um i guess this is good enough as time as any to say that like people were very generous with their uh 433 topics and so we like people sent in a ton and so we weren't able to we tried to do one from that from everybody but uh we now have a cornucopia of 433 topics to keep 433 going in the future so patrick and i no longer have to rack our brains trying to come up with one before we record yeah it's sweatily glancing around the room (laughs) to try and see what things make Uh, us think cups have we talked about cups have we talked about cups have we talked about uh haircuts um so seriously thank you to everybody who sent in 433 topics if we if you had one on your list that you were hoping that we would get to and we weren't able to this episode rest assured that these 433 topics will keep us going for a while and if you uh now wish that you would have gotten in on the 433 fund send them in send them for sure um Mark, I'm sorry to say that I started the timer already. We, we, we are into the 433 on this. We have to rank the following sides. French fries, onion rings, potato salad, coleslaw, potato chips, fried zucchini, pasta salad, and baked beans. Um, geez. Uh, I can tell you right now, yeah. for me personally, pasta salad, potato salad, and coleslaw are at the bottom. I just don't like beans, any too. of them. I baked like baked beans. beans. I don't need I'm them. a baked beans defender, Mark? but, but they, I, it's, I think it's fair that they go at the bottom. So you're saying coleslaw, potato salad, and pasta, pasta salad. salad. Just not my thing. Not, not, in, not into uh, cold mayo-y salads, huh? I'm not into cold mayo-y salads, no. I mean, I will agree with you, and especially uh, compared to any of the rest of these, uh, except, of course, for baked beans, which I will put at the very, very bottom. Um, I don't know. Am I wrong here? I don't know if I consider potato chips a side. Potato well, chips, they feel like a snack to me. I, I I will defend their inclusion on this list. I think that when okay. you, you go to places, um, you know, it'll be like, especially like sandwich shops or something like that. You have the option of like yeah. chips or something else. Yeah, that's true. I just, I, I guess I have a hard time conceptualizing eating any of the rest of these outside of the context of like 
and you're having it with a hamburger at a barbecue. Mm, mm -hmm, Whereas mm -hmm. like chips, if you just open up a bag of chips and eat them, you like, no one's going to look twice. You do that with onion rings and people are going to be like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) I mean, that problem right there is the problem that Funyuns was trying to solve, right? And they didn't. You made a bad product, Funyuns. (laughs) Um, So I... Next kind of at the bottom here for me are onion rings and fried zucchini. I probably put fried zucchini above onion rings just because I feel like um, you can pretend that they're healthier than onion rings. (laughs) Uh, I'll disagree on that. I I like a good onion ring. Uh, when an onion ring comes out, uh, comes out nice. Their uh, umami burger used to do um, like a tempura onion mm. ring. Maybe they still do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that one is super solid. So like the batter is uh, good in and of itself. I feel like that's a good onion ring. And a good onion ring is very good. I feel like the problem with onion rings is like if they're made with real onion, is sometimes you like bite into them and then you yeah, pull yeah, out the onion. And so yeah. then you just have like the the crust, which by itself is like you just feel like you're eating something that's terrible for you. There's no illusion. Um, okay, so th- those we can say that those are like tied somewhere yeah, in yeah. there. Um, which leaves then for the top, uh, I think, potato chips and French fries. Uh, Mark, I'm going to add a new entry to this. Tater tots. Oh, see, ta- I, I don't care for tater oh, you, tots. You don't care for tater tots? All right. But, I, but I'm interested. To, out. <laughs> no, no, I'm interested to know where you, where you would put them in this ranking. I mean, probably just below French fries and potato wow. chips. I think I think tater tots are good, um, and is a a fun way to have like a little bit more of a potatoey, uh, almost like a, a steak fry texture, um, in, in like a smaller bite. You know, I poo poo tater tots, but do you know what I like are like the little like hash brown bites that you can get from like fast food restaurants in the morning, mm-hmm. or I guess actually in the glorious age in which we live, you can get them any time of the day. I. Uh, so I do like those, and I don't know if they count as tater where, tots. Where are you? Where are you picturing those from? The Burger King ones? I mean, yeah, I think I'm talking like about the, little discs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like little discs. <laughs> We're both making little hand shapes on <laughs> on our FaceTime call here. But I think French fries are actually. I was going to say indisputably number one, but I could make an argument for potato chips, and I'm going to right now. And it's that like, yeah, do it. Potato chips rarely get like soggy, right? Like French fries can be gross if they are like cold or they're left in oil. But potato chips are theoretically good all the time. And look, with uh, potato chips, you get more variety, right? Yeah. Like, yep, the sky is the limit, and there are some amazing flavors of. Oh, no! I, luckily, our this is the last one, so I think we can. So we're going into overtime. <laughs> we're going into overtime because I think we're both on the same page, and I would just want to like stamp this with the definitive 433 answer that I think potato chips are my number one. Uh, it's so hard though, because a, a nice, like hot, fresh French fry is like a transcendent experience, but like, that is true. It's it's a perfect situation uh, only when it's perfect though. Like, right. It falls out of that so so fast. That's so true. It's like, if you get a good French fry, like it's impossible to beat, but how often do you get that like perfect French fry? Yeah, I mean, almost never. And especially if you're not, if you're now, right, as you're picking up uh, something and like taking it home or having it delivered, like those French fries have died in the 20 minutes since they came out of the fryer. Um, So, yeah, I think for the times we live in, uh, the 2021 answer is that potato chips are at the very top. I think so. Uh, 
<laughs> All right. Um, Mark, we did it. We've done 2433s in a row. Happy 433rd episode to us. Yeah, I, I agreed. And thank you to everyone who submitted suggestions. Uh, thank you to everyone who's just listening. Uh, it, it felt like a little bit of a, a strange thing to very pointedly not talk about <laughs> what the show talks about for, you know, two hours. Uh, but I'm glad we did it. I had a nice time and I'm glad everyone was there uh, along for the ride. Um, all right, Mark, let's close this out. That is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. I was about to say for this episode of 433. <laughs> Remember, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you like the episode. You should share it on Facebook or Twitter. But really, if you're introducing someone to this podcast, maybe start with, <laughs> start with a different one. This could be like the third or fourth episode you show them. Uh, we, we appreciate it when you share um, the, the show. That helps us out a lot. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nin Cart Society. The Facebook page is also there. It is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape at Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apeatbetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying thank you for listening. is Will Himes, and I am a ghostwriter, meaning I write other people's books for them. And I have a podcast called I Will Write Your Book, which are recordings of my meetings with my eccentric clients, such as a woman blocked after one sentence of a children's book about her dogs, a romance novelist who dislikes sex, and a man proud of having sampled everything in his local grocery store. This podcast has been described as fully improvised, played by some of the best comedians on the planet Earth. Hey, that's pretty good. That's I Will Write Your Book on Campfire Media. Campfire.